Ooh, how about these new songs that are coming out from our, from our worship people? And how about that worship? Are you kidding me? I like it when I hear a song and I go, wonder where that one came from. And I find out us. That's not, ba- that's not terrible, is it? Exercising Ephesus. I think I discovered this week why God said to me, I want you to go to this, this book and this passage. I also think that I uh, got it clear. What, well, whew. I don't care. Everybody who's in a bad place, you're in the perfect spot to receive what you need to get. So when the Lord took me into this and I, I didn't know, and then I was getting ready to jump right into, um, right into the text of the letter to the Ephesians and, and the Lord really prompted me, said, I'm not through with you on the introduction. And he prompted me to go back in, dig back in. And, he, and, and if you also remember, I told you several months ago that this 20th year that we're in, headed for our 20th anniversary, would be a time of digging old wells and of, of, of pursuing our beginnings. Well, I'm really taking you to the beginning tonight. Because the beginning of the beginning of what's happening at this church was in the realm of deliverance from dark spirits. That sure got a roar. Everybody's excited about that one. So then I, when the Lord prompted me, and then I realized I'm always big on numbers and times. What I'm about to introduce this with in a minute is a, is a 30-year-old story. In February, it'll be a 30-year-old testimony. And listen, after 30 years, you can pretty much tell anything and get away with it. And people will survive and not die. But before Ephesus could be evangelized, Ephesus had to be exercised. And the way you exercise a thing is, is listen, it, it's, it's hand in glove with evangelism. And you can't always tell where one begins and the other ends. But I'm telling you, spiritual warfare is the key to kingdom expansion. I probably don't mean Pentecostal ladies sitting in a circle and praying prayers, and, although that doesn't hurt either. I'm talking about actions on the ground that have consequences in heaven and on earth. All right, so let's get at it. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually read the text I read to you last week so that we can just have a gentle introduction. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth. Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we've not heard that there is a Holy Spirit And he said to them, and to what were you baptized? And they said, in John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is? So it all starts with Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, And when you ascribe being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
you are, um, you, you are saying that the name that is above every name has been now associated with Yeshua, even Jesus. Because you're taking that name that it was ascribed to the heavenly father and that, and that translators wouldn't translate that name. But translators have often substituted Lord for the formal name of God the Father. Anyway, we're, we, and when we talk about being baptized, we get baptized in the name of Jesus, Lord. I'm a, I'm a radical believer in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oh, I'm also tempted to chase a rabbit right now. Um, no. It's about Ricky Gervais. <laughs> Guys, y'all want to know about your pastor? Here's what you can learn something about your pastor. I didn't know who he was until last week. I didn't need... Good. You're one holy person in the church. He, he uh, I guess he's the, the, did he invent like the office? Did he invent that? Yeah. Have you, should I ask, have y'all have seen that? Is that I, I don't know if that's something I can ask in church. Anyway, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. I just heard, I just heard it and heard about it forever and he was the inventor of it. Anyway, he does the opening monologues on the Golden Globes and he just, oh, he just, he's my new apostle. <laughs> Anyway, I won't go into that. No, I can't. I can't. It's just too much of a rabbit hole. And I got too much to give you. Um, <laughs> and when they had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now, whether you know it or not, <laughs> oh, I'm getting drawn. There, was about, there were about 12 men in all. Speaking in tongues and prophesying are signs that the Holy Spirit is in you. They, they're indicators that the Holy Spirit is in you. Now, um, I've always said the sign of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And, and, and when it comes to theology of Holy Spirit, I personally believe that anyone who receives Jesus is receiving the Spirit and is, and is thereby, if you will, baptized in the Spirit. But I believe that there, that there are many other works of grace of the Spirit, not least is the release of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't have time to argue that with anybody and I've been teaching this stuff forever. This is why you don't hear me say, do you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? You usually hear me say, do you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and, and uh, have the gifts of the Spirit released in you? To me, that's an intramural debate that we don't need to fight about, but we all agree this. We need to be born again and have everything in the Spirit that the Lord wants us to have. Do we agree on that? You can call it whatever you like. But it was important because Gentiles won the day on the theological debate of whether or not they could be included in the covenant family by the fact that when Holy Spirit came on Gentiles, they spoke in tongues and, we, and, and they prophesied. And the, the apostles said, if God has approved them, we cannot disapprove them. Got it? All right, now, that, that's, let that lay in the weeds for us. So he's preaching Jesus... And then look what happens. And he entered synagogue for three months, spoke boldly, reasoning, persuading with them about what? So what did he just get through preaching? 
There is no antipathy. There's no difference between preaching Jesus Lord and preaching kingdom of God. These are not things, that are not, these are not different subjects. Because he came to them and said, I can talk to you about the king kingdom because the king has arrived. And wherever the king arrives and wherever people coalesce around his name, the kingdom is increasing. Got it? Just humor me. I'll go faster. Because I haven't even gotten to the text yet. Some of them became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. He withdrew from them and took the disciples, some took away the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. There's an ancient text that actually includes a phrase which says that they taught and it gives the hours and those hours work out from, um, they work out from, from noon or it's from 11 a.m. to four in the afternoon. Now, whether you know it or not, in the ancient world and in much of the world today, that was nap time. That was siesta time. And in fact, in Ephesus, it was said that there were more people awake at one in the morning than at one in the afternoon. And so, in other words, they needed a place to meet and there was a hall that wasn't being used, but you can only get it during siesta time. And so the church then as now had practical wisdom and said, oh yeah, we'll do that. And so while Ephesus slept, the disciples equipped an army to undo what was going on in Ephesus. Can we talk? Now, what, was that, what would that require? What, what none of us here realizes in the full is the extent to which the kingdom of Ephesus was a kingdom of spirits that had nothing to do with holiness. And we might be entering a new dark ages in the Western world where we will find ourselves again in, in a world of darkness. When people, and especially when Christian people began to call darkness light and light darkness, something is going on. And it's uh, not for the faint of heart. I'm tempted to bring up a whole bunch of things, but I don't have time for that either. You should, listen, when you're thanking the Lord, Gail would want you to especially thank the Lord that you don't live inside my head. Because there's a traffic jam in there. <laughs> and have y'all seen those videos where in some countries they don't have lights and, and, they, and then they speed them up and show you how the cars race through? That's my brain. I, I look at that and I feel comforted. All right, so this is just the map. That's the southwestern part of Turkey. And that's the little journey he made over to Ephesus just to give you a visual of where that is. And I told you about Ephesus and the seven churches are in that area. And the work that Timothy did is in that area. The work that John did is in that area. And the work that Paul is doing is in that area. So we come to this, Acts 19.11. And God performed unusual works. Mama Gail read this to us in a, in a uh, devotional. 
It's usually translated, this is a kingdom translation, by the way. It's usually translated extraordinary miracles. So can I ask you a question? What are ordinary miracles? <laughs> I don't know that, but I know he, he, God performed unusual works of power through Paul's hands. And so people used to take handkerchiefs or towels that had touched his skin and put them on the sick and their diseases would leave them and evil spirits would depart. So there's actually a spiritual foundation for uh, some of the practices that you see take place. I would just make one piece of advice. Don't ever pay for that cloth. Well, no, don't, no, no. Pay a cloth maker for the cloth, but not an evangelist. Just saying, just a thought. Now, where does this come from? I put some text up there for you, chapter text that you could go look at. But this is where, this is where we find that touching the garment of Jesus. Got it? Yes. Got it? Touching the garment of Jesus brought healing. This is one of those passages where you can say the greater works. Because now they're saying, People used to take handkerchiefs or towels that had touched his skin. <sighs> okay, you, you, let's just go ahead and lust after this. <laughs> let's just go ahead and earnestly, you can't get this anywhere, can <laughs> Let's just go ahead and desire this, that God would so touch us that the things that touch us would touch them. Okay, that this is what you want, man. This is what you want. And, and this is what will break the back of the enemy. All right. Listen, I'm, I don't think, well, never mind. I'm telling you, I'm getting so much better at stopping myself. I'm just not getting better at telling you about it. People <laughs> used, <laughs> that had touched the skin and put them on the sick and then their diseases would leave them and evil spirits was depart. And when I was reading this this week, I was, oh, man, the Spirit hit me. Does the Spirit hit you? Man, the Spirit's hit me about five times today. And I'm like, okay, when that happens and I ain't after it, I'm like, okay, I'm following that. Wherever that's going, I'm following that. Because listen, when God touches you and we seek the Lord all the time, but sometimes we're just walking around in the dark and he grabs us. I told you this this week. This, I'm on this because I like stumbled on it. And so then this week I'm reading this text and all of a sudden, you know, you get that short breath thing going on and you go, oh, I have to stop. And when I read this and, and then their diseases would leave them and evil spirits would depart. Okay. All right. So this thing took me back to the beginning and, uh, I have a, one of my mentors in the faith is, uh, is uh, Pete Wagner, who's with the Lord now. And I, I, did, I thought I might be able to walk close with Pete. I never was able to walk with him, but I walked with him through his writings and teachings. The Bible says he who walks with wise men is wise. And we live in a time when you have the great privilege of people that you can't know, you can walk with them through their teachings and through their words. And so you're not limited by not being able to touch them, but so, so do it. Now I had the privilege of taking two doctoral classes um, with um, uh, Dr. Wagner at, at Fuller Seminary and I was a great man of God and whoo, he stirred up my life. Um, 
He and, and Charles Kraft. Anybody know Charles Kraft? How many of you know the name Charles Kraft? Who defeating dark spirits? Charles Kraft is still with us. He comes to New Mexico because he has family here. Oh, he was old 20 years ago when I met him. <laughs> Things are possible. Anything's possible. Hallelujah. Well, it was Pete Wagner that taught me about spiritual warfare. And I should just, I should have left the word ordinary off, but he talked about it in uh, three levels of, of warfare, ground level, occult level, and strategic level. Okay. And he said that Acts 19 is the only passage in the Bible that he knows of where all three levels of spiritual warfare are in play. Now, uh, ground level spiritual warfare is just what it says. It's when you're in infantry and you run into a spirit and a person and, and listen, you're all God's got, so you got to do something about it. <laughs> just saying, hallelujah. Um, and I, I've always said that casting out demons is a gateway drug to getting filled with the Holy Spirit. So occult level spiritual warfare is, um, is where, this is where people in groups begin to want to clean things up and they remove occultic practices from their lives wholesale because they want the revelation that comes to them to be from heaven and not from the dark place. All right, and then strategic level, we'll go into that. We won't do that tonight. But I'm just setting you up for that. Uh, We'll do that next week, and then I'll go to India and try to do some of this. Why not? Why not? So, um, and the Lord really got on me on this because I I, I tell you, I I tell you from time to time, some of the reasons why this church exists, not all of them are wonderful. Um, Part of the story of this, of, this, of this church is that the devil made roadkill out of me for a while, right? And so, listen, you come in here and you're under it, you're in the right place. Because guess where I was when I was, when I was roadkill? I was in church. <laughs> I was actually in the ministry. But I'm telling you that what you're going through what you're going through is the pavement for the car you're going to ride on one day. What, what you're suffering, what you're enduring, what you're fearing, what, what's, what's eating you is going to one day be food for you. It's going to be the food on your table. You know this. Hallelujah. You know this. And I'm telling you, you're going you're gonna to live. I'm so glad you're here tonight. I'm so glad you're here tonight. So there were some traveling Jewish exorcists who tried to use the name of Jesus on people with evil spirits. Really? Did I? So understand this. The Jews cast out demons before Jesus came along. Jesus didn't invent casting out demons. Because guess what? Demons were already around before Jesus was born. <laughs> and listen, almost every religion on earth wants to, wants to deal with them. 
and, and all the witch doctors on earth, you know, you know what most of the witch doctors are doing? Trying to tell people how to get rid of spirits while they're also telling them how to get spirits on other people. There were some traveling Jewish exorcists who tried to use the name of Jesus on people with evil spirits. I command you, they used to say, in the name of Jesus, you know the one Paul's preaching. There were seven of them who used to do this, and they were the sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest. Now, if you know your Bible, hallelujah, Jesus loves me better than anybody. Water, man. Bless it, Lord. Yeah, I'm thinking that too, just so you know. <laughs> I know what you're thinking, Bernie. <laughs> you guys do realize that this stuff was going on while Jesus was ministering. Because once in a while, the disciples would catch somebody casting out demons in Jesus' name, and they would forbid them, and Jesus wouldn't let them. So I'm going to tell you something that you need to know It's in the Bible. It seems that sometimes, even people who didn't know Jesus could get away with doing this. Now, this comes after Pentecost, and these guys, just for the record, don't get away with it. It's like, if this is, this is one of my favorite verses that I hated more than any other. Can we talk? But on one occasion, the evil spirit answered them back. Well, I know Jesus has shouted, and I'm well acquainted with Paul, but who are you? I want you to know when the demon says... Who you, he ain't asking for information. He's fixing to give you some information. The man who had the evil spirit pounced on them and since he was too, uh, much too strong for them, overpowered all of them so that they fled out of the house naked and battered. Listen, every police officer in this city will tell you that a 90 pound woman filled with darkness can beat up a whole car squad full of policemen. How am I doing, officer? Have you ever been in the... Uh, no, nah, don't, don't want to do that. <laughs> See how good I am? I'm going to ask him later. I used to work in security, and they would have me restrain people in the hospital because I was big. And I, I wish I'd known Steve Dragswolf in those days. <laughs> I love standing beside him. Nobody, nobody ever says I'm a gentle giant anymore. <laughs> and... And pounced on him, and since, and since he was much too strong for them, overpowered all of them, so they fled out of the house. And I love this, naked and battered. Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> but this became common knowledge among both the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, and fear came on all of them, and they praised the name of the Lord Jesus. And uh, here we go. All right, so... Um, this, is, this is where I wanted to get to. Because, listen, before... I hope some of y'all have had these experiences. Uh, before I got filled with the Holy Spirit, um, I, had, I, was, I would read this passage and I was really afraid of demons, like super afraid of them. 
I also ascribed to demons all kinds of supernatural powers. But hey, after all, I saw the exorcist. <laughs> you know, and in those days, we were, in, in those days, you had to actually deny that you saw it if you saw it. <laughs> Because you could get in trouble if you were if you were just young, you'd get in trouble with your parents, and if you if you if you were older, you'd be oh man, don't tell Christians you saw the Exorcist because now they want to jump on you like the demon did. <laughs> and anyway, I would describe all these powers to demons. I thought they knew everything. I thought that listen, I thought I thought they were like really to be scared of. Guess what? They were, but they don't know everything, and they're not as scary as I once thought they were. But boy, did I think they were scary. So then one day, I was shooting at some food and up from the ground. <laughs> um, so, then, so then, it just happens, this stuff just happens. <laughs> and, and then one day, I was sitting in my office in the Baptist church. This is, 30, this is like 32 years ago. And someone walked in my church and asked for a couple of minutes to see me. And um, walked in my office. And, and I, what was standing in front of me was so um, frightening that I committed the sin of misgendering before it was a sin. Oh, I did. I didn't know what was standing in front of me. Person came in, sat down, began to say, began to describe in great detail their sexual perversions. And I was like, pretty sure I wasn't supposed to be in there. <laughs> and and, and I was like, you know what? I know the name of a counselor. I was just finding out the glories of counseling. I know the name of a counselor. I can get you in to see them. They da, 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 writing this all stuff out. And this person says, will you pray for me? Oh yeah, I'm like holy enough to pray for you. This is, this is you know, a long time ago. And I started to pray. And because I'm telling you, I didn't know that at the time. But what happened is I started praying the spirit of God fell on me. And I started to invoke the name of Jesus like I had never done before when I prayed. And all of a sudden, this person went, and I opened my eyes for the first time in prayer. I, it was illegal and everything. I mean, it was wrong. And I stopped and the roaring stopped. And I knew that I, I hadn't finished my prayer. And I was Baptist, you can't stop a prayer in the middle of praying. So I went back into my prayer. This time I stopped my prayer and started talking. And I said, what was that? And, and, and this person looked at me like, what was what? 
You didn't hear that? I had this pain right here in my neck. I'm like, okay, in Jesus' name, amen. Gave the piece of paper. Walked over to the door. Opened the door. The outer office had two sweet Baptist women in it. Looking like Holocaust survivors. And, and, and I just looked at them and closed the door and went into my office. <laughs> okay, now, it is fun. Listen, that really did happen. And I remember I walked out, I, I, I got my breath, walked out, you know, pretty slow. I'd done, you know, birthing practice with Gail. I knew how to breathe. <laughs> This stuff just happens. I'm sorry. <laughs> and and, and oh, oh, I, I opened the door back and said, so have you guys ever seen? And I called it demon possession. And they said, and I said, yes, you have. Close the door. <laughs> and anyway, uh, <laughs> this started a process in my life where um, uh, I became the object of, of, of this person's stalking. And it went on for two years. And I didn't know how to bring the person relief. And my conscience wouldn't let me cut them off. So I was caught between the horns of a, of a, of a mercy feeling and, and powerlessness. And, uh, and 30 years ago, on February the 4th, I stood up in my pulpit to preach, and I couldn't preach, and I broke down. And they, and they carried me, screaming like a madman, out the door. And you think I don't have any mercy on these seven sons of Sceva? Oh, I understand. So, uh, the first 14 rounds went to the devil. Just so you know. But in those days, fights were 15 rounds. I'm just saying. That opened a door to a long journey. A long journey. And here's what that journey did. It didn't just teach me techniques to deal with a problem. It taught me who I am in Jesus Christ. Because I want you to know the enemy showed their hand. They were like, yes, we know Paul and we know Jesus, but there's no reason we should know you. And I remember when through the long process of discipleship, reading, searching, seeking, healing, counselors, psychiatrists, spirit-filled Episcopalians, and crazy charismatics. Hallelujah. I would have, whew, 
going to say something awful. I just needed help. And through that long period, I, I came to what, first of all, I could, I could cast them out better than they could cast me out. And second of all, I'm telling you, I entered into the royal priesthood of Melchizedek. Listen, I was already there. I just didn't know who I was. You know, half the world says, you don't know who I am. And the reality is the person inside should be saying, I don't know who I am. And this is why we won't let up. And this is why we won't let up that, that the message of identity is everything. You understand, if they, had the, if they had understood identity, they'd have been all right. You understand that, right? They would have been all right. Now, so ground level deliverance is taking place in Paul's life on accident. Don't miss that piece of it. Paul didn't have a ministry of deliverance. He had a ministry of the kingdom of God. He had a ministry of Jesus. Now, I also made that mistake. I entered into a ministry of deliverance for a while. And do you know what? <laughs> do you know that the, that, the, that the enemy sneaked in on the back door on me and almost took me out again? And a, and a great man of God in this city rebuked me with a prophetic word. I want all the prophetic words to be edifying. This one was given in private and it was terrifying and it just tore my doors off. But you know what it did? It opened my eyes because a man said, I, you're casting out a lot of devils, but you've got a door open and you're, and you're a victim of the door you have opened. Oh man. He said, listen, I don't have a ministry of deliverance now. I just have the ministry of Jesus and deliverance happens sometimes. Okay. Ministry of the kingdom ministry, Jesus ministry, presence ministry, power ministry. And, and, and I'm telling you, the Lord is stirring us up again. He's stirring us up again. I'm probably getting sent to, to India again to get, to get refired for this. Because what happens, what tends to happen to Western Christians is we go out of Western countries and we encounter milieus where this is normative and, and we get ushered in. Um, Pete Wagner and Charles Kraft were... Old school evangelicals, I think they were congregationalists. One of them was a congregationalist, and the other one, I forget what he was. But they were, they were in denominations where none of this stuff happened. But they both had a missionary ministry and a missionary heart. And one of them was an anthropologist, and the other one was a missionary. And this led them into cultures where these things were normal. And they got driven by the wind of the Spirit dealing with deliverance. They got driven into being filled with Holy Spirit so that they could do kingdom ministry. Did you hear the call that got sung over you tonight? Who will go? Better be somebody that's touched with a coal from the altar. You understand, you go in the secret place and he touches you there and you're ready to go now. It's like you can't not go. Okay. 
Hallelujah. I was worried I wouldn't have enough to preach tonight. And I didn't even give you an inch of it. But we're going to give a little more before we finished. Some had been practicing magic, brought their books, and burnt them in front of everyone. And someone calculated how much they were all worth, and it came to 50,000 silver pieces. Um, I think that I'm not mistaken to say that if you calculated that, uh, silver pe- it was like 50,000 days wages. If you calculated that on minimum wage in California, you get $6 million. That's a pretty good fire. That's a pretty good fire. So the word grew and was strong. Now, look what I didn't read to you. Many people who became believers came forward to make public confession, revealing what they'd been up to. So when the, when the Jewish exorcists couldn't cast out demons, and in the context of where we we're told, but Paul could do it on accident, people listened to the kingdom message. And evangelism happened. And here, more evangelism is happening. What is evangelism? Evangelism is the shifting of the scale from from people who are registered under the kingdom of darkness to those who are transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. Okay. Once all this had been finished, Paul decided in his spirit to go back through Macedonia and, and Achaia and from there to go into Jerusalem. After I've been there, he said, I have to go and see Rome. All he's saying is, he he was one of those that literally believed that every place where he put the sole of his feet was coming under kingdom. That's what's underneath this. And he sent two helpers, Timothy and Erastus, on ahead to Macedonia while he himself spent a little more time in Asia. Now, I have to stop. No. Hallelujah. I know I brought this up here for something. There's a Yale professor. His name's Ramsey McMullen. And he wrote a book called Christianizing the Roman Empire. And I dug into that book when I was... uh, Well, actually, it's been uh, over 20 years ago when I was pursuing these things of the Spirit. And I was astonished. This high-level Ivy League academic, the thesis of his book was this, that the Roman Empire did not become Christianized by Christian preaching, but by Christian exorcism and he writes account after account of it the manhandling of demons humiliating them making them howl beg for mercy tell their secrets and depart in a hurry served a purpose quite essential to the Christian definition of monotheism it made physically or dramatically visible the superiority of the Christian's patron power over all others. In other words, the nation that had gotten its gods in, uh, you know, the, the Romans had a pantheon that was the equivalent of the Greek pantheon. 
the Roman pantheon of gods was displaced by Christian monotheism because Christians demonstrated the power of Jesus' name over the power of every god the Romans had. I was astonished when I read this book all those years ago. I I doubt they let him stay in the Ivy League. I don't know. But this is the kingdom of God. Now, stand together as I tell you who you are. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people given over to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are a people who I'm declaring to you that everything that is causing you to suffer is, I'm telling you, it is the recipe of the victory that you will either bring or leave on this earth. King Jesus has set you apart and he has said, you belong to me. You are mine. King Jesus. And the spirit that is in you is not subject to the spirit of spirits of this world. And the spirit that is in you makes you into more than a conqueror. Lift up your heads. Your redemption draws near. Lift up your heads. You are victors. And the Spirit said, who will go for me? Hallelujah. You might be here and you don't know Jesus. I had the singular privilege last Sunday morning after the ministry was over with that a young lady came walking up to me, introduced to me, And I could see what was in her eyes and feel what was in her heart. And I said, do you know Jesus? And she said, I want to. There's a word that was given to me that hasn't been fulfilled yet. You see, there are churches that have been, churches that have been blessed to have people come and sit in their chairs and in their pews who are seekers like that girl. In the, in the life of my ministry, I've never known a time where, we, where I had that in an abundant measure. When I go through the prophetic words that have been given to me, that is one of the words that I've never seen come to fruition. And it's one of the drivers, Errol, that keeps me going for the day in which I will declare Jesus and the room will be filled with people who will say, no, but I want to. And so, Lord, he gave me a mercy drop. And so I'm here to tell you, when I call these people for prayer, if it's in your heart that I don't know Jesus, but I want to, he already knows you and is calling you and you have heard his voice and you have longed for him. You've tasted of the spirits of this age and they are destructive and they are not your Lord 
even if they are your master. And it is time for you to be free. Every person in this place has the right to be free. The name of Jesus and the blood of his cross gives you the authority and the right to become a son of God, a child of God, to be set free and to live the rest of your life in freedom before the Lord and in joy. Hallelujah. So Lord, I thank you for what is and what is coming. And I hear the sound of horses running. If you need a touch from heaven tonight, you come, come now. Don't wait, I don't have time. If you need a touch from Jesus in your body, in your mind, in your soul, in your circumstances, come, come now, come on.